Hello, everybody. This is a reboot of an earlier podcast recorded in 2019. Sophie and Sin decided it wasn't up to the podcast's usual standards of quality and decided to do it again. The original version is still available on patreon.com slash thinklairlore. Have you seen Thickle Ash? Yes, of course. He's on my wall. Fucking perfect. <laughs> oh my god. Thickle Ash supremacy. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Sin. Hi, Bean. Hi, everyone. That's my line. You take that back. Too late. Too late, Sin. <laughs> Too late. I already did it. I run the show now, Sin. <laughs> <laughs> the Mikalesh supremacy has gotten to her head. That's right. <laughs> and welcome to the Snack Covenant, episode 264. And today, we're talking about a very special Bloodborne boss with a very special guest. One of them is Mikalash, and one of them is Bean, and you have to guess who's who. <laughs> Mikalash is here, and he's going to talk about me. Ooh. watch us solely for our Dead Space content. <laughs> Do they? No. For <laughs> <laughs> the benefit of those people, could you please tell us about yourself? Oh, sure. Um, hi, I'm Bean, aka Teeny Tiny Coffee Bean on everything. I am an avid Bloodborne player. I love Mikalash with every fiber of my being, and that's why I'm here today. Other than the fact that we're friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have an Etsy store, because you're an artist. Yes, I'm an artist. Thank you, Sid, for reminding me <laughs> that I do things. <laughs> um, yes, I have an Etsy store, uh, Teeny Co Tiny Coffee Bean Designs. I sell lots of sold foreign prints, and I'm working on making more stickers now. And actually, Bean made a very beautiful rendition of a Brutus that I'm going to hang on the walls. I can't wait. Mm. So Bean, why do you love Mikalash so much? He's just so strange. I, I mean, and you don't know all the ins and outs of like Bloodborne lore, and you are just presented with a man who's wearing a cage on his head, who runs away from you, who is a boss in a Soulsborne game. That's fucking weird. I love that <laughs> shit. His, like, his whole thing, his, like, library, his, like, puppet things. I love it. It's just good stuff. It's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have a very good time. Oh, well, most people don't. But that's okay. I have a good time. I make up for everyone that doesn't have a good time. Thank you, Bean. What was your first impression of Mikalash? My first impression of him was just like, what? Because my introduction to Bloodborne was watching um, speedrunners. I remember just watching the speedrunners go through these bosses, like these massive beasts, weird eldritch abominations, and then there's just this guy. <laughs> 
and he doesn't seem like he should be a boss and I think that's wonderful first and foremost but first impressions was wow look at that weird little guy he just runs away from you <laughs> isn't that great <laughs> Sophie what about you what was your first impression of Miklash I guess like at that point in my playthrough like the nightmare stuff had started to permeate my brain a bit because, like, I played it in the first, like, couple of days after it came out. And I had no idea about any of the, like, Lovecraft nightmare stuff. I had no idea that was going to happen. And that, like, hit me out of nowhere like it did with a lot of people. And I was just, like, trying to piece everything together. And, like, being said, this you just go into this room and this man you've never seen before starts running away from you and screaming. And he's babbling all this stuff about, like, cause And the dream. And, and he's called Host of the Nightmare. And at that, I had no idea what the hell was going on. As much as I complain about it mechanically, <laughs> it, it has such an interesting vibe to it. The way that, like, it's a boss fight that basically seems to exist to deliver exposition. Yeah. And tell you about the world rather than actually be much of a fight itself. Because one of the things about Bloodborne is, like, it, it has, in terms of quantity, like, actually much, much less text, less story delivered to you than the Souls games had before. Because it just has fewer items, they say fewer things, fewer NPCs. Just the encounter with this, this boss and realizing, like, the purpose of this boss is almost like like a, a plot turning point in an info dump more than it is a fight. <laughs> yeah. We've talked before about how like the most interesting bosses in Bloodborne thematically are also like kind of the biggest clusterfucks to actually fight. Yeah. Like Rom, which like Rom sort of literally and metaphorically like turns the whole game upside down in terms of what's actually going on, but we're playing it and we're like this is actually kind of horrible. Hmm. Hi, Sophie here. If Mikolash has one character flaw, it's his tendency to ramble. This includes, but is not limited to the line, the Grand Lake of Mud, hidden now from sight. Wait a second, what Lake of Mud? Does he mean the lake outside Bergenworth? Not very muddy. Does he mean the mud outside Bergenworth? Not very lakey. Does he mean the cut boss arena? No, that's not muddy or lakey, because it's the fucking ocean. Well, the answer may surprise you. There is no lake. It's a metaphor. Mikolash's Japanese line reads something more like, The Grand Lake is hidden from sight by the mud. Meaning, the lake contains enlightenment, and our human limitations are a layer of mud on the surface that stop us from seeing through. Annoyingly, there is actually another version of this line in the English script, where Mikolash says, The Great Lake, clouded by grime, the cosmos. Which is a lot more straightforward, and would have saved us literal just years of arguing about whether it's the lake and the mud and the ocean, it just never fucking ends. Back to the podcast. 
Bean instigated this. I had a good outline. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm not. And sorry. she was like, "No, let's do one of your stupid outlines, Sin." Oh, <laughs> you know. So let me ask you: When and where was Mikolaj born? <laughs> <laughs> now Bean knows what it's like to be me. This is great. Um, how are so? Where, how are we going to infer this? This is information that, like, I assume would just be, like, very vague, as in, like, Bloodborne takes place in Yarnum. Well, you, you can you can infer that Mikolash is from Bergenworth, so that's yeah. a start. So he probably wasn't born in Yarnum. Right. Like, here's my thing with Bergenworth, like, yeah. particularly, especially if the idea is that, like, Mikolash is, like, born there. It doesn't really seem like that large of an area to have people no. that live there. If you think about, like, like Oxford or Cambridge or somewhere is named after the city that it's in. True. So in my head, like, this probably isn't true, but, like, the city in Forbidden Woods is, like, Bergenworth City. Right. And that's just Bergenworth University, because it's part of Bergenworth City. What if Mikolash was actually born in Dignity City? Hi, Sophie here. Sin has asked me to explain exactly what Dignity City means, in case this is anyone's first time listening. Well, early on in the podcast's history, Sin was demanding that I explain the etymology of the name Bergenworth to her, a name that doesn't really have an etymology because it's completely made up. In a desperate attempt to end the conversation, I ended up agreeing with Sin that the word Berg meant city, and the word worth meant dignity. Therefore, the name Bergenworth was, I guess, German for dignity city. Sin found this much, much funnier than I did, and insisted on using it as Bergenworth's name on the podcast ever since. As Dignity City is a constitutionally protected parody of Bergenworth, you can buy Dignity City merchandise using a Redbubble link on the channel. If this actually is your first podcast, I'm so sorry. Back to the podcast. What was Mikolash's childhood and adolescence like? Well... Bitch was fucking bullied at some point. Oh. I'm sure of it. Sophie, are you googling Facebook to find Mikolash? Like, which high Yeah, you find it. Have <laughs> you profile yet? Can you send it to me? I think, like, he clearly had issues with Rom. Yes. Yes. I think he's very insecure. Very yeah. the jealous type, you know? Very much like... Mm-hmm. I don't like you because I'm jealous of you. Very Definitely. much like that. That bitch needs to go to therapy. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> needs to go to therapy. In his later years, I guess university time, he went to Bergenworth. Yes. What was it like for him there? The bitch was bully. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going with that. I have, like, I mean, I feel like he he has this, uh, this, like, he, he exudes, like, this very much, like, a, like, he's a hack. Like, yeah. I mean, like, truly. And 
somehow or another ended up semi-successful but he he does exude that like try hard but get nowhere (laughs) sort of uh, personality type I also think he was kind of like he was kind of obsessed with Lawrence I think wanted to be like Lawrence or someone that was successful in that same way yeah, because I, I feel like his whole approach was like, after everything with Lawrence went wrong, he's like, no, that was a good idea. We should do that again. Yeah, he likes that idea a lot. He likes it when shit just doesn't, like, shit hits the fan, it doesn't work, but he's like, no, no, it actually would, though. I, I just have to do it. <laughs> if I were in charge. <laughs> yeah, if I were in charge, I could get this done, obviously, and then just completely fails at whatever it is. <laughs> and blames Rom. Yeah, blames Rom. <laughs> Mikolash and Alfred both exude like incel energy yes. on a certain level. Yeah. They truly do. And yeah. um the the difference is, is that one's a himbo and mm. one is more of that like mad scientist like mm. archetype, but they're still like <laughs> you know well adjusted individuals. <laughs> <laughs> so what was his relationship with Lawrence and Rom? Did he actually know them? Were they in the same year? Was it like an anime? <laughs> it was like an anime. It was a hundred percent like an anime. Lawrence was probably like one of the teachers, it's my assumption. Willem is in charge. And then like there's like senior academics under him, which would include Lawrence, and then there's the other students under them. So Lawrence was probably like not an old crusty man, but he would probably like in his like thirties or something, and Mikolash is in his twenties and he's looking up to Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then when Lawrence is like, fuck it, I'm leaving, like his sort of like fans go with him. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And then with Rom, I'd say like classmate, age, or like ish in that range, it seems like he knows Rom or knew Rom when she was human. So mm. I'm only assuming that she was like a student at the same time. He's or... so jealous of her as well. Yeah. So it seems yeah. like, you know, something like that whole debacle was like another instance of like him not moving the way he wants, yeah. the direction he yeah. wants to move in. Yeah. So he's really he's like, if it, if it were me. Yeah, it would be different. Would have worked out. Yeah. Right. So let me ask you. Later in life, after the whole Lawrence debacle, at some point, Mikolash ends up in Yahargul. His cult, like, runs the town. Like, I mean, Mm. motherfucker has a cult. (laughs) Like, (laughs) he's a cult leader. Yeah. I think it's it's after Lawrence disappears. Mm Mm-hmm. Because what seems to happen is, like, after Lawrence disappears, there's, like, a schism over what the hell they're supposed to do next. And Yahagul and Mensis are like the ones who say, Lawrence had the right idea, he just didn't do it properly. So they just go to continue Lawrence's work and they do it in secret. And I think it's kind of significant that like, Yahagul is connected to Old Yarnum, because it sort of seems a bit like Old Yarnum might have been where Lawrence actually entered the chalices. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's, it's, it's a mess, but, like, you can sort of, if you line everything up, it kind of makes sense. Like, if Old Yarnum was the first time things got really bad, that was also probably the first time that, like, any of this shit seriously went down. So Lawrence probably went to Thumaru via the altar there. Because, like, also you have the whole thing about, like, Mensis themselves, what are they doing? They have Murgo. Mm-hmm. And they have Murgo because they went to Thumaru as well. Which we can sort of surmise is where Lawrence was going. So they're basically picking up after Lawrence. Trying to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why I think, like, okay, they probably did it in Old Yarnum because that's where Lawrence went and they know no one's going to go back there because it's been all burned out and locked up. So you mentioned Mensis. So in short, Sophie mentioned the schism between like what side of Bergenworth does what. So like once Lawrence leaves, there's like between like Willem and Lawrence, there's like different sects there. So you get like the healing church, which would be Lawrence's section, and then Bergenworth, which would be old, you know, the old section, which is Willem. And then you get from from like the kind of ideology that you have from Lawrence, you end up with like the school of Mensis, which is essentially like a a rogue cult at this point who thinks that they can do better than what the healing yeah. church is doing. Yeah. And on the opposite side of that, there's the choir. Right. Who are like, Lawrence is a fuck up. <laughs> and they don't they weren't at Bergenworth because they're too young to have been there because they're like they're like explicitly the choir are orphans that the church adopts when they go to Yarnum. So the choir are like okay this Lawrence guy has no fucking clue what he's doing. But apparently there was this other guy who who also agreed that Lawrence didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> so I think we should be him and they start dressing and acting like Willem. <laughs> Yeah, I love that he's re- like Willem in this regard is like so revered by the yeah. choir in that way. It's so funny because he's still yeah. like fucking there, dude. Like he's <laughs> like, go go ask him. He can point at the moon next for you. You know, he can give you a rune. Well, they did. That's what Yuri's doing. And I'm like, well, did you just find this out? <laughs> I just got here. <laughs> Well, they do work in research, right? Yes. Trust me, research takes a long time to Mm. get anything going, so it's actually hyper-realistic. That's fair. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like like 20 years is like, that's a project. Yeah, (laughs) since they were babies. Right. (laughs) I'm getting into reborn territory, I said babies. Reborn? Oh my god! Reborn? (laughs) Mean! I've never loved you more than I do in this moment. <laughs> Hi, Sophie here. Um, if you're really, really is your first podcast and you didn't switch off for the Dignity City thing, then like, I guess you're beyond help and you might want to hear more of this. So the reason Sen got excited about the word reborn is that a while ago she recorded a, a five-hour commentary on season one of an anime called Katekyo Hitman Reborn uh, with a guy called Richard who's dead now. Did Reborn kill him? Find out in The Policy, an exciting true crime series available now on Sinclair Law.
back to the podcast. So the cult is located in Yahargul. Yeah. And when we go there, we find a whole bunch of dead spark hunters. A, a few? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, and you got the spark hunter stuff, so you've got like the tinnitus and like uh, paper, the paper. The- yeah, there's tons of paper. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Okay, there's there's two there's two possible explanations. First is the spark hunters were already there and they got killed. Yeah. Second is that the spark hunters showed up afterward to try to stop Mensis at some previous point. And they mm-hmm. all killed. There's a couple of theories that I floating around. Like this is not like steeped in any like actuality, yeah. but I was like seeing or reading about people's theories about the spark hunters and how there's like all those like strange like Tesla coil things all around Yahargul and they're like beside mirrors that have like drapes over them that are covered. Mm-hmm. And how maybe that the spark hunters were working with Mensis at some point. Yeah. What if Mensis are the spark hunters? That's ridiculous. Have you seen? Have you seen <laughs> men, the Mensa scholars? <laughs> they are capable of being shoved in a locker, like fully <laughs> capable of getting bullied. I don't think anyone with the title hunter is just—they're going to be built. They're going to be stacked. Like they're not going to be—you're not going to be able to fit them in a locker, let alone try. So, Bean, are you saying that weird room where we find a whole bunch of mummified people is a locker? Yes. <laughs> the event plaza is just one large high school sized locker that like it's bigger it's bigger on the inside is like the TARDIS and you just have a whole bunch of men's the scholars in there. <laughs> Hi, Sophie here. We just referred to Nikolash's boss arena as a locker that he's been shoved into. If you allow this mental image to stick in your head by thinking about it at length like I'm forcing you to now by talking about it, any impact the arena have will likely be ruined forever. But what if you wanted it that way? What if you wanted every area of Bloodborne to be given an entirely new backstory that strips it of any menace or atmosphere it once had? Well... Patreon.com slash Sinclair Law has you covered in Locations of Bloodborne, an exciting exclusive series in which we reveal the true stories behind such areas as Party Village and Hemwick Saddle World. So now that you're listening to the video again after pausing it to give us money, we'll go back to the podcast. So, other people that we find in Yahargul are Thumerians. What are they doing there? They're doing what they do, which is they're collecting bodies. The Snatchers are, like, employed. Um, the Chai Maidens come yeah. after, of course. But I think the, the yeah. Snatchers are definitely employed by Mensis yeah, for yeah. harvesting things like organs and Do you, do you want to talk about why? Why they're doing this whole thing? Or does that come later in Sin's Outline? Well, it's it comes later, but you can... Okay. We'll talk about it now. Okay, so um, some some time previously, Mikolash and some friends, <laughs> they like astral projected into the nightmare and left their bodies behind in Yahagol. And then Rom, just to add insult to injury, it was Rom. I love that. Was like, no, 
we're closing that thing off, you can't do that anymore. And what's going on, it's that that's the night that Mensis are like, we need to re-establish that connection. And we have to be able to go back into the nightmare again. And what they're doing is they are performing this mass human sacrifice that will beckon down the red moon again. And when the moon is beckoned down, they can go back into the nightmare where Mikolash's consciousness is. The issue being that it's been a while. It's been a hot second. And um, unfortunately, Mikolash's consciousness has been in the nightmare so long that his body is basically a mummy at this point. I have, okay, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to ask, oh, sure. just, uh, I have this thought. Like, they're doing this to reconnect with the Red Moon at this point in time, but I'm like, but but why? First of all, like, unless you you yourself, like, that the rest of the sect of the School of Mensis is just prepared to be there, like, why try, are you trying to bring, like, you can't bring this motherfucker back. Like, he's mummified now. Like, you can't. No, it's it's because they have Murgo. Oh, that's right. Because he's trying to, yeah. Yeah, because so the whole, the whole, Mikolash is still doing his, like, stupid master plan in the whatever nightmare. He's, just, whatever yeah. it is that he's doing yeah. there. Yeah. Bean, you just gave me a vision. Oh, jeez, a vision. What if the one reborn is actually Mikolash? Oh, God. That's how they're trying to get him back. Let's summon the red moon and bring back our beautiful Mikolash. <laughs> oh, shit, something went wrong. Oh, it's like, it's oh, like, no. have, you seen, have you seen the fly? Yeah, it's yeah. like, <laughs> he turns into a fly monster like Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. He does that. <laughs> <laughs> they do want to get in touch with Mikolash, though. Right. Because, like, they can, he's still, like, his consciousness is still there. He's as, like, alive as, like, German is. Like, he's still yeah. technically there. This is an interesting thing that, like, took us a really long time to finally figure out, but that note in Erden Chapel mm-hmm. that says the spider is hiding the ritual and keeping our lost master from us. The lost master, like, 100% is supposed to be Mikolash. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Finally, yes. <laughs> no, like, truly, like, I am not gonna, like, I don't debate that one, and I yeah, don't think yeah. I ever have. <laughs> like, it's very, it's obviously because of the derogatory yeah. nature of referring to Rom essentially um Mm -hmm. it's Mensis because they they don't want they don't like Rom (laughs) no so let's proceed a little further in Yahargul all right at some point we go into a room with a bunch of mummified people what is this room why are they mummified what is happening a ritual Whoa! A Whoa. ritual in Bloodborne? Oh my gosh, this is mind blowing. Mind blowing, absolutely. <laughs> Just totally not expecting that one. <laughs> and you know, some of them have like cuffs around them. Yeah. Um. I mean, my my take on it is like because the Mensa's cage like is supposed to like heighten connection with like the yeah. great ones or like establish some sort of like communication between them or like with anything on the other side of the veil so to speak um it seems like essentially part of that like mass they're tied down because it's probably going to kill them it's it's like traumatic like yeah 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 yeah. that's why they're all dead yeah well also like (laughs) mikolash has um shackles on his feet as well when you see him at the start they're dragging behind him yeah Mm -hmm. yeah in his original set, when you get the, they were supposed to have the. He was supposed to have handcuffs, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. So when you touch the mummified Mikolash, you get transported into a nightmare. Hey, how you doing? It's uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki here, uh, creator of Bloodborne and some other crap. So, uh, the, these assholes asked me to uh, explain exactly how the dreams work in uh, Bloodborne, which I thought was pretty straightforward, but uh, this came out around the same time as that uh, Dream Police movie, which uh, confused a lot of people. So, uh, the dreams are this, like, other reality, uh, your Doctor Strange shit, that you go to by dreaming, but, uh, they're not really a dream that someone is having. That's why, uh, when Mikolash wakes up, the dream stays there, and that's also why, uh, Mikolash's dream is not just the Willem apologizing profusely. Dreams also make it very easy to reuse assets. Why is the Grand Cathedral in this game three times? It's a dream. Why is there a village at the top of this clock tower? It's a dream. Why did you rip Potty Yanim out of the ground, put it in the sky, and then fill the hole by stealing a level from Dark Souls 3? Tell Yui it's a fucking dream! Back to whatever these idiots were talking about, I don't fucking remember. So, once we get to the nightmare, we meet a whole bunch of creatures. How many of them are part of the Mensa's cult? We can do this. We can do this. Okay. Okay, we can assume that. Silver Beast and, and uh, Giant Lost Children, they were just there. We can assume that we know, actually, we kind of know for a fact the brain was just there. Because they make a point about Mensa's found the brain. Yeah. Yeah. The people wearing silver on the run-up to Mikolash, the, they're called Murgo Attendants, they're presumably looking for Murgo, so they presumably, like, they came, they followed Mikolash in, essentially. They were like, oh, okay, here's where we go. This is, this is, this is where, this is where our prince is, we have to get him back. The Shadows of Yarnum also, they've come to look for Murgo. The only thing where it's not kind of clear who was on what side is the spiders, Mm -hmm. Because the spiders have the same... They have human heads, right? Yeah. And if you look at, like, Patches... Patches is... Again, like, no one explicitly says this, but it's kind of clear from where he is and what he does. He's from Bergenworth. Mm -hmm. Patches is like a scholar who went mad and turned into a spider. And because it's the same kind of creature, like, it's literally just Patches with a bowl cut... It's like, are the spiders in Mensis's nightmare? Is that Mensis? Like, are they people from Mensis who went mad and turned into spiders? Or are they the remnants of the people of Lauren who went mad and turned into spiders? Because it could go either way. Yeah, they're inside the loft, so it's yeah. kind of like that. They're inside the loft that leads to where they found the brain. Yeah. So you can sort of intuit, okay, if they were... Because there's so many dead bodies on that thing outside the brain. So it's like, okay, it's, I guess, kind of feasible that, like, when that brain showed up, they all... It was kind of like the Red Moon appearing. They all, like, frenzied and went crazy and transformed. And, like, the ones immediately next to the brain just died, and then the ones that were further away became the spiders. Like, that's... 
that's like doable, but the, the whole thing about that structure that you find that castle is that the layout of the castle mirrors the layout of the cathedral in the waking world like not not one to one but the way that it's like the two like sections with the big glowing thing in the middle it's kind of like the tower you can sort of intuit that that castle thing was the Lauren equivalent of the Grand Cathedral. It's where the academics of Lauren and the medical church of Lauren was set up and that's ultimately the place that like destroyed them and that's why it's remembered. So if that's like if that's true, then the spiders could just be like the remnants of Lauren's equivalent of the healing church. Because they're roughly, if you like try mapping it, they're kind of where Upper Cathedral Ward would be. If you imagine that, like, yeah. the Mensa's castle is the cathedral. So, they could be either. It's yeah. confusing because they reuse Patch's model. I know, they use them yeah. in the chalices, too. Yeah. Um, it gets confusing. Yeah. Um, other than, like, those particular creatures, I think yeah. that if we're moving a little bit further in, or past, past the attendants, you end up with the dog crows, mm. crow dogs. Um, Spider pig. Spider pig, spider yeah. pig, spider pig. <laughs> you got the um, mari- the marionettes. Oh god. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Mikalash has, which are yeah. kind of random. Um, yeah. But we forgot one very important and loyal member of Mensis. Edgar. <laughs> oh, Mikalash's boyfriend, yeah. who's clearly. Yeah. <laughs> who clearly was a member of the choir sent to spy on Mikalash, but now, oh buddy, now, <laughs> they're dating. <laughs> this is canon in my heart. Of course, of course. So we see Queen Yarnum outside the room where we find Mergo. So in case somebody wasn't paying attention earlier because they tuned out. Can't imagine why. <laughs> Could you please explain what's happening with the whole situation with Murgo, Queen Yarnum, and Mikalash? Way, way prior to the events of the game. And this is important because a lot of people think like literally everything Mikalash does is happening in like two hours or something. I think wow. the problem is Bodborn came out shortly after Inception. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Inception did. makes this point of like the things happening in the dreams time is distorted so it seems like a long time when you're dreaming but in reality it's only been a couple of seconds which made people think Mikolash's whole plan actually happened like in the space of about five minutes of game time no, so what happens is way before the events of the game Mikolash and his associates his cronies yeah. Collaborators. They go down into the dungeons beneath Yarnum and they kidnap Queen Yarnum's child. Um, Queen Yarnum hadn't given birth at the time, but thankfully they don't show that part. We can fill that in ourselves how they do that. And they then abscond with the baby to the nightmare, which is where we find them now. Um, and then that's when like they're cut off. This is one of the more confusing things about the plot. Like, Rom the spider somehow cuts off the ability to access the nightmare. We don't know exactly how. Rom cuts it off. So, what happens is when Rom dies, and the 
Red Moon redescends and everything is reconnected. What you see immediately after Rom dying is you see Queen Yarnum again. It's not literally her, it's like this projection of her. Um, appears basically where Rom died and looks toward the moon descending and you hear Murgo crying. So what's happened is like when that link was re-established, we could go to and from the nightmare, but also Queen Yarnum could go in to and from the nightmare. And her, like, agents could, that's what the shadows are, that's maybe what the silver people are. Mm-hmm. So, now that that is there, she can pop over to the Nightmare and look for Mogo, and that's why we find her there. But, because it's not actually physically Queen Yarnum, it's like a ghost sort of doppelganger of her, she can't do anything. Because when you fight Queen, she, she will wreck you if you fight her. She is yes. extremely powerful. So strong. But, um... Yeah, the, the thing is, like, when you fight her, she creates these little doppelgangers of herself. And what you're encountering in the nightmare is actually one of those doppelgangers. So presumably, she is either physically still down in Thumaru Ihil, or she's just straight up dead, because it says, like, she can produce copies of herself with her consciousness. So whatever the hell has happened, her, like, doppelganger thing is in there, and it's found Murgo, but... Because it's just the doppelganger doesn't have any special powers or anything, it can't get him back. So that's why she is outside waiting, and if you beat the wet nurse, if you go back the way you came, to where Queen Yarnum is, she actually bows to you in thanks, and then she fades away. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people also just, like, smack her, because she'll just disappear. Yeah. So, like, if you do that, you don't get the... you won't get the bow, because she's gone. Yeah. So, Yeah. So, the wet nurse. Who's the wet nurse? Why is she there? Oof. Um, she... Like, in-game, like, outside of, like, cut content or what have you, she she's literally a caretaker. She's, like, a... Like, I would say, like, a lesser kind of, like, like old god... Um, similar to like the amygdala and that like way where there's could be multiple of her in different ways but um, she's literally just like hired like a, a hired help I, I'm, I'm trying to put like human like you know connotations to something that's a uh, wholly not human but yeah. she's there to take care of Virgo as a wet nurse would for a mm-hmm. human child and how did she end up coming up on Mergo in the first place? Mikolash's whole thing is like, he's basically got to the highest point in that nightmare. There's a giant fuck off moon in the background. <laughs> so this is like great one bait. And then he's just put the baby there and he's like, notice me, Cos. And um, I guess the wet nurse noticed him instead because Cos is like, fuck you. Oh, Cos, no, absolutely. I mean, like, she was like, Hello? Oh, I'm not picking up. She's like, you look a lot like the people who killed me last time. (laughs) Fool me once. She's like, is this is this a telemarketer? Like, I'm not picking that up. I don't know this number. (laughs) New phone who this. (laughs) Who the fuck are you? Like, yeah, I think that would make more sense for the like wet nurse coming down. I was more like I would think I was I was making it too complicated in my head, but it definitely is more on that like it's a baby well, great is, one yeah like hmm. before the before the dlc you could actually have said the wet nurse was cause and that would have made sense yeah yeah 
because he's like, cause, cause, like, you know, where, do you hear us? Do you hear us? We're calling to you. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking of this concept of like how how it must be for like Mikolash who's like he just keeps like he looks in this phone book but you can't read it you can just read the numbers and you're just like dialing random shit until <laughs> <laughs> you get the right the, a number that gets you somewhere so when we meet Mikolash for his marvelous boss fight he runs around this library he shouts things, he screams, he, he howls. Yeah. What do those things tell us about the lore? A lot. A lot mm. more than what you get, like, just playing the game thus far. Well, he's a helpful exposition boss. Yeah, he is. And it makes me, just like an aside, this makes me really sad that, like, people don't realize that you can't pick up items when he's talking because it's the X button to, to, to skip through the, the dialogue yeah. and they miss his dialogue. I, I've had like people tell me about that and I'm like, you don't do that. And they're like, I don't care. And I'm like, oh, playing a game man. with, you don't care about the story? Like, what is your problem? Anyway. <laughs> um, now I forget what I was going to say. Uh, he he gives you a lot. Like he, he talks about he talks about Cause, who would be the first time you actually heard that name said in the game. Um, he talks about, like, he explicitly talks about another character in the game, which I don't think very many characters yeah. do, aside from, like, Gascoigne's daughters who talk about Gascoigne. <laughs> like, Berman talks about Lawrence, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he talks about things that, like, may or may not technically exist in the game any anymore, like the Grand Lake of Bud. <laughs> um, <laughs> depending on what you, you know, what yeah. you think about that. He, he's also, he's also the thing that confirms that Rom was a person. Mm -hmm. Because when the game came out, like, there was an interview with Miyazaki where he sort of alluded to Rom having been human. And people were like, well, we ha what does ha what? But like, Mikolash <laughs> explicitly says it. He doesn't literally say the words Rom used to be human, but he's like, cause as you once did for Rom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you realize what they're trying to do with the like, we're trying to be reborn as another species, it sort of clicks. It's like, oh, okay. Rom was like, Rom is a failed attempt to do what we're doing now. We haven't talked about, like, why people seem to want to become another species in this regard. It would be a lot of times in response to the beast infection. So it's about, like, not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is kind of tangentially related. At some point, we meet a great one called Abrietus. And Mansas don't like Abrietus. Why is that? They're jealous. Yeah, they're <laughs> jealous. They did steal some arcane shit, though. Uh, the auger. Well, that's where I was going with this. Despite being jealous, Mikolash uses a call beyond and auger of Abrietus. Mm. Mm-hmm. Stolen. Very stolen. Also, like, um... Uh, what's his name? Damien. Damien. Mm -hmm. Damien of Mensis has a lock shield. They're just ransacking, like... Mm -hmm. I mean, they're part of the healing church. They could yeah. probably just, like, 
check this stuff out and not return it. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, because because the call beyond and um, the Augur Breaches is like is essentially slugs. I mean, I, Nicolash just has pockets of slugs. He just like <laughs> went in there and took all of the slugs he could, and just like jam slugs. <laughs> He like just jams slugs in there. And Damien, <laughs> Damien, not only does he have a lock shield, but he uses a black sky eye, mm-hmm. which is awesome. First of all, he's in that to snipe I, everything. He also uses a choir bell, which is like the choir like trademark that, and he still uses it. You don't see the choir using anything Mensis does because they don't have anything. Mm. <laughs> So let me ask you one last question. After everything we talked about today, and all the information we have, did Nikolash succeed in his mission? Well, he didn't get there all the way. If his mission was to become something that's like Rom, but did it better, one-upping, so to speak, no, because we come into his house and kill him. Yeah. I think like I mean they're they're all they're all academics. So he submitted this and um his conclusion was that like further research was needed. <laughs> I think he could pass with corrections. Hi, Sophie here. Um, Rom is one of those things where, because no one on screen explicitly says the exact sentence, Rom was a Bergenworth scholar who was ascended by Cos but wasn't quite enlightened enough so she turned into a stupid spider thing. Um, people act like it's a weird theory when it's really just something that the game kind of lays out for you, uh, I think pretty plainly. So basically, Rom is a secret within the world of Bloodborne, but uh, Mikolash knows enough about her to mention her casually, and he's also wearing a Bergenworth uniform, so those two things together kind of imply that he was at Bergenworth. He also specifies that Koz granted Rom eyes, and we know that the people messing with Koz were the Bergenworth scholars. So basically, Rom did what we do in the three third chords ending, except that she only had the one third chord, so she ended up vacuous, because the chords are the source of enlightenment and she only had a third of what she needed. Nikolash also only has one chord, but thinks things will work out differently for him because he's a very stable genius. Back to the podcast. Let me ask you the real last question. Can you tell us about the development of Mikolash? I certainly can. Okay, so, um, one of the things that we mentioned at the start, that, like, Bean was like, this is why the character is so great, is that you have no context for who he is, you just show up in a room and a man starts screaming and running away from you. (laughs) Perfect. So, yeah, so that actually came pretty late. Um, initially Mikolash was someone you would encounter repeatedly prior to that and um he was very similar to big hat logan from dark souls in that he he would be someone who wanted to get access to this forbidden knowledge and 
you would give it to him and then when he got it he would start to go mad and what would happen is like he would go progressively mad throughout the game and then he would decide okay i'm gonna go to the nightmare and i'm gonna start like doing all this weird eldritch shit and he'd run away and there would have been a i don't know what if it was like a set not necessarily a set piece but basically he would be chased you would chase him from where i think he would have been in the grand cathedral you yeah. would chase him from the grand cathedral to hemwick and then in hemwick he would leap into the lake and you would follow him into the lake and that's what would take you to the nightmare not the lecture hall and that is why the boss fight is designed around him running away from you because it would have been like the continuation of this chase you'd been on prior to that the other interesting thing about Mikolash, and it gets into like plot like the structure of bloodborne didn't change much but the characters did get moved around and like sort of themes got changed a bit so initially and this this makes a lot of sense um the lawrence character and the Mikolash character were essentially the same person there was a scholar from bergenworth who came and he he would have like joined the healing church as an already existing institution to sort of learn more about Yarnum, and that would have been like the Mikolash character um as he is now but also but not the founder of the church and then through the repeated sort of like revisions and iterations of the story it went from basically there was a weird church in Yarnum, and a scholar from bergenworth joined the church to learn more about it to a scholar from Bergenworth was the founder of the church in Yarnum. So that's kind of the major difference. Like, he was essentially like that character got split into Lawrence and Nicolash as separate people. Mm-hmm. But initially, it, they, they were basically the same guy, yeah. You can see that in, like, um, if you do the camera with that scene where you're ta- mm-hmm. where, like, Lawrence is talking to Willem, the, the, yeah. the model that's there is, is Nicolash's model, yeah. but that would have yeah. been Lawrence. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why, like, Lawrence doesn't have a model in-game. Right, because they never had one. Yeah, he's basically just created after the fact, yeah. And you know, in the subject of the weapons that Mikolash uses, in the previous iteration, there was a switcheroo between Cause and the Briatus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get confused by that. Could you elaborate on that? So in, um, in this, like, early version... The boss we now know as Ibriatus was Cos. And that's why the whole, like, Cos, 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 when you meet Mikolash, he's using all this, like, Cos stuff. It's because of that. They would have been the same person. All same squid. The thing is, we're doing this already with Elden Ring, where we're going through screenshots and trying to match who was on what team from the stuff they're wearing. But we know for a fact that when it comes out, there's going to be like, oh, they dress as this in an imitation of blah, blah, blah. Or like, because they're going to have revised it like 10 times at this point. Oh, yeah. It's going to be all different, like comparatively to what we've seen from Elden Ring specifically. Okay, this is something that I, I absolutely dead ass need to be cleared up because I heard, and this was like a long time ago, this is like back. Yeah. Somebody was saying that it, at least in an earlier version of the game, or like it could have been, I was trying to do it, but I don't have an earlier, I don't have an earlier yeah. version installed, yeah. that he could visceral you. He could visceral I think attack he can. you. I've been trying well, okay. to bait that. 
forever. This is the thing. I think he can, but like the way that the auger works, I think they changed it as well. Okay. But I'm pretty sure he can visceral you, yeah. I've been trying. If he can still do it in the current version, I have yeah. tried for literally three hours just trying to get him to visceral attack me because I desperately wish for that. You know how somebody wants to get, like, visceral attacked by Maria? It's the same idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same idea. And you can't stop me. I'm going to keep trying now that I've heard that you can do that. Sophie, do the outro. That was The Snack Covenant, episode 264, Mikolash with Beam. Woo! It's remastered this time. It's it is. true! It's about a third as long. Yeah, it's not three hours. Yeah. There's actual information. <laughs> we didn't talk about it's not a, there's not a drunk guy screaming outside my window. <laughs> If people want to find you on social media, where should they look for you? They should find me on Twitter. I'm Teeny Coffee Bean. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Teeny Tiny Coffee Bean. And you can find me on Twitch, which is also Teeny Tiny Coffee Bean. I stream sometimes. I'm playing Pokemon Black right now. I have a Tepig named Baconator, if you're interested in seeing that. <laughs> um, and um, I have an Etsy, like I mentioned at the very beginning. It's Tiny Coffee Bean Studios, and I have uh, Soulsborne prints and Pokemon prints and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and they're beautiful. Aw, oh, thank you. Oh, very cute. <laughs> okay. Well, Bean, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Oh. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sin. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Sin. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> thank you, Sin. Yes, thank yourself. <laughs> and thanks, everyone, for listening. And see y'all next time. Bye. 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 Well, that concludes their discussion of Mikolash. But you may be thinking to yourself, they left out the most important part. They never mentioned his hat. But fear not, Mikolash's hat will return in Mikolash Part 2, The Hats of Bloodborne Part 1. Now, please stay tuned for some fun Mikolash facts. Mikolash uses the same model as the player, which means you can make your own, entirely accurate Mikolash, using sliders available at the Bloodborne Wiki. Mikolash is possibly named after the man who designed the Prague Astronomical Clock, whose name was Mikolash. If you play the game unpatched, Mikolash's mirror teleport doesn't quite work and he falls out of the sky instead. There are two different cutscenes, depending on whether Mikolash is defeated in or out of the dead-end room he is heading for. The Mad Ones, summoned by the Witch of Hemwick, are present in Mikolash's arena, just never turned on. Mikolash has two voice actors. Nobody knows why. One is probably the scream, though. 
and despite everyone on the podcast being very mean and calling him a weedy nerd, Mikolesh has 50 strength. I hope you learned something new about Mikolesh. <laughs>